Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 95. In your pew Bible, that's page 520 in the Old Testament section. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. And in his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his where he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. And when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for forty years I loathed that generation and said, There are people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Oh, good afternoon. Anyone need the heat turned up? <laughs> My glasses are fogging up here. This is going to be an interesting afternoon. My name is Tim Shorey, one of the pastors here, and it is good to be together in the Lord's presence to sing and praise and now hear uh, in his, his presence. Let's pray. Lord, would you please come and Father, give us physical strength uh, for these next moments that we might exert sufficient energy both to proclaim and to hear your word, to hear your word in our hearts, to hear your word in truth. Help us, Lord, for it is only as you give us hearing that we can hear, and it's only as you change our hearts that we will respond, and it's only as you fill our hearts that we will rejoice in you. So come and bless, O oh Lord. Amen. Amen. 
Well, as has been noted, we are in a series of messages on the subject of worship. Uh, we've defined worship as giving God what he deserves. And uh, that could be grounded right in the text, Psalm 96 and verse 8. You'll want to keep your Bibles open, by the way. Psalm 96 and verse 8. Ascribe to God the glory due his name. He deserves glory. And worship is simply giving to God what he deserves. So the question becomes, how do we worship? What are to be the activities, the postures, the spirit, the tone, the content of our worship, so that we are giving to God what he deserves? And the reality is, as we said last week, that we are to do this not because God is an egotist, not because God needs his love cup filled, not because God is somehow deficient and at least one day a week he needs to receive some kind of emotional pick-me-up from his human creatures. No, God is completely content in himself. God was content for all of eternity before he ever made the world or us or anything else. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were totally happy in them in himself. But God, in his love that was overflowing his heart, decided to share the joy of his love, and so he created us. And then he invited us into worship, again, not so that we could somehow inflate his ego, but so that we could enjoy the glory and the wonder of who he is. So what we've been doing in these couple of weeks is look at Psalm 95 and 96 to see what should be involved in our worship so that we can glorify him and give him what he deserves and maximize our joy in him. Last week, we saw that we should worship through gathering, through coming together out of the everydayness of our lives and the stuff that just goes on day after day after day. One day in seven, God is appointed for us to gather. We should worship through not just gathering, but welcoming. We should say to the nations, to all the ethnicities, to all the people groups, come and join us in the praise of God. We should worship God through thinking. We should worship rationally with our minds. We should worship the Lord our God for He is good, for He is great, for He is wonderful. We should worship God through our singing, lifting our voices, and joining melody with truth in such a way that it stirs our spirits and it lifts our hearts and it celebrates him. We should worship God through feeling. The text in front of us tells us both that we are to rejoice or to experience exuberance in God's presence and we are to tremble or experience reverence in God's presence. We are to feel things when we are in his presence. And we saw last week that we are to worship God through celebrating specifically his salvation, his deliverance of us through Christ. And now this week, 
in a kind of rapid fire way, I want us to move through several more ways that we worship God and in so doing glorify Him and maximize our joy. So first of all for today, we need to worship God through moving. We should worship God through moving, not being stationary, engaging our bodies in the worship of God. Look at Psalm 95 and verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. This, this is a call to physical movement worship. This is a call to engage not just our minds, not just our feelings, but our bodies in the worship of God. Do you realize that there are dozens of times, dozens of times in the Bible where we are told to kneel, where we are told to bow down, where we are told to clap our hands, to, to fall on our faces, to lift our hands. Physical movement in worship. At times, we are to kneel. At times, if we can keep any kind of rhythm, we are to clap. There were some complaints a couple of weeks ago. I won't name the complainers, but a couple of leading singers in this church who will go nameless as long as I can restrain myself, who were complaining about some of us, including me, who was way out of rhythm in clapping. It is better to clap out of rhythm than to not clap at all. That's right. There are times, I'm not hearing the comments going on back there. I'm not listening. All right. There are times, there are times, and indeed I would say every time we worship one way or another, our bodies are to be involved in the worship. Do you, do you realize that one of the first acts of obedience for a new Christian, a new believer, is a physical act of worship? What is it? Baptism. Where we submit our bodies to be immersed in water and pulled up. We are, we are in that, we are symbolizing spiritual truths, but we are also declaring this fact that our bodies belong to Him. And do you realize that this worship of God with our bodies even includes eating? What are we going to do at the close of our worship today other than eat and drink in remembrance of Christ. It's a remarkable thing that God who is spirit, who has no body, has created us with bodies and called these bodies good and said, worship me with your bodies. Our worship is to be physical as well as intellectual and emotional. Reverence and exuberance are to be expressed with our bodies as well as our minds and our hearts. Here's a question for you. Should we kneel? We'll just take kneeling as an example. Should we kneel in worship? Should we kneel because we 
feel reverent in the moment, or should we kneel because we don't feel reverent in the moment? The answer is yes. In those moments where our hearts are moved and we are sensing the, the nearness and the greatness and the wonder of who God is, and there's an impulse to kneel, kneel, my friends, kneel. And in those moments when you're feeling nothing, there's no sense of the nearness of God, no sense of the wonder of God, kneel, my friends. Because posture both expresses worship and produces worship. God wants us to use our bodies in worship because it's the only way that we can be totally engaged, or at least as close to totally engaged in this life as we're ever going to get. Let, our, let us worship God through our moving, through our bodies. Second for today, let us worship God through hearing. Through hearing. Psalm 95 Verses 6 through 8, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness. Part of worship is hearing the voice of God. We come to worship so that we can hear God speak. James has this in mind in James chapter 1 when he says, Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, in order to receive with gentleness the implanted word. That text is not about our relationships and how we should listen to each other, although it can be applied certainly there. That text is about worship. That text is about every time you get a chance to hear the Word of God preached, particularly in your local church where there are pastors who are ordained to minister God's Word to your heart. We should be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath because that's how we receive God's Word. God wants to talk to us. And we as a church are committed to hearing His voice with eager, teachable, submissive hearts. And so our worship here is filled with the Word of God. Our songs are filled with truth so that we can obey Paul's words in Ephesians 5. Teach one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We need to teach truth to each other through singing. Were you, were you experiencing that earlier? My, my heart, I was being taught through your singing of these truths. We have to hear God through the reading of Scripture. I, I love the Scripture reading portion of our worship each week where we just sit and listen as a brother or sister reads God's Word and we hear His voice. We're, we're to hear God's voice through preaching. Next week's message by our brother Rick is going to be on the centrality of preaching in our worship Together, we are to hear God's word through prophetic voice and words as well. All of this, brothers and sisters, requires that we have a very high view of Scripture, doesn't it? That we recognize that this book is the word of God, that it is the inspired, 
It is the unerring. It is the unfailing. It is the all-authoritative Word of God. And what is in the Bible came to us from the very mind of God. And is His Word and His will. We have to believe that if we're going to worship God as we come together. We need to come in the spirit of Samuel in the Old Testament. Speak, Lord, your servants here. We are here, Lord, to hear you. Please talk to us. Worship through hearing. Next, worship through praying. In verse 6 of Psalm 95, we are told to kneel. And what is the main thing you do while kneeling? It is pray. Pray. In 2 Chronicles, King Solomon knelt on his knees and spread out his hands toward heaven and prayed. Did you know that 1 Timothy is written as a kind of manual for how to plant and build and strengthen local churches. And one of the first things that Paul tells Timothy, he wants to make sure go on when the church is gathered together, is that it pray. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, First of all, then, I urge you that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I desire that in every place, and he's talking about every place where God's people are gathered together, in every place, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves with modesty and self-control. God's house, Jesus said, is to be a house of prayer. This place must be, this congregation must be a house of prayer. We must be praying people. We must be. Folks, that that needs to begin, begin when we think about our Sunday gathering. I'd like to suggest that that begins before you even get here. I'd like to suggest that it begins before you leave your house. That you spend time perhaps on your knees before God and ask God to prepare your heart and prepare the heart of your family, your children, your spouse. That you would ask God to come and meet with us and talk to us. Pray before you come and then come early. We meet here at 3.35 to pray. Right up here around the piano. Let's Fill it out and let's have a little big prayer meeting happen before we even start as we just call on God to bless us. And then throughout our worship at different points we pray and then we pray before we hear the word of God preached because we know that if God doesn't bless the preaching, nothing's going to happen. We have prayer times during our worship. We have weeks where we have intercessory prayers, longer prayers devoted to praying for our nation and praying for mission work and all the rest. We have invocations and benedictions. We, as a church, we have two or three times a year where we hold two or three day long fasts so that we can fast and pray together. We have prayer for healing at least once a month. All of these are biblical congregational ways to worship through praying. Next, worship through repenting. 
through repenting. Go back to Psalm 95 and hear with reverence God's word beginning in verse 6. Today, God says to his ancient people Israel, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God intends our worship to include the softening of our hearts. Do not harden your heart when you hear his voice. Soften your heart. That is a figurative way of saying come to humble repentance. Come to a place of contrition and broken heartedness. Ask God to bring conviction of sin to your heart so that you might repent of it and soften your heart. And in the words of Psalm 96, 9, tremble before Him. We give God what He deserves, brothers and sisters, when we repent of our sins in His presence and confess His holiness. A couple of weeks ago as we began our observance of the Lord's Supper that week, I offered a few words of caution. I went a little bit longer in extending a word of caution based on 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul tells us that we ought to be careful when we observe the Lord's Supper, because if we come in an unworthy manner, if we come flippantly and carelessly, if we come having issues with and conflicts with brothers and sisters in Christ that are not resolved, that we have not done everything in our power to make peace on. If we come harboring sins in our hearts that are unconfessed, unrepented of, then Paul says we eat and drink discipline or judgment on ourselves. And he said, he actually goes on to say, some people are weak and sick and some have even died because they have come to the Lord's table carelessly. I don't know about you, but that puts the fear of God in me. And that's a reminder to us that God wants us in our worship to come with repentance, to come with humility, to come having examined ourselves. Folks, we are, we are doing a holy thing when we come together. We are meeting a holy God. A holy God is coming to meet with us. We need to come reverently and humbly and contritely. We worship through repenting. Next, we worship through testifying. Through testifying. Psalm 96 and verse 3 says to declare His glory and declare His marvelous works. Declare His works. Testify. Tell people about His works. Recount His works. Talk about His works. In Psalm 107 and verse 2, we read, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble. I grew up hearing that from my dad as it was testimony time in Sunday evening church. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Are you the redeemed of the Lord? 
then say so. If the Lord has redeemed you, as the psalmist puts it in Psalm 107, has redeemed you from trouble, then declare it. Testify to it. Tell people about it. Has God redeemed you from trouble? Oh, he sure has. Let's start with the trouble called hell. Let's start with the ultimate trouble, the ultimate grief, the ultimate bondage, the ultimate fear, the everlasting wrath of God. He has delivered you from trouble through the death and the atonement and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. But He's also redeemed you from a thousand other troubles, ten thousand other troubles. Do you know how I know? Because you're here right now. If he hadn't redeemed you from 10,000 troubles, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be alive. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on Sundays ready to share with people what God has done for you in the past week. Come prepared. Come prepared to engage, not just in small talk with others, but to talk about God, to talk about what He has done. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, as, as pastors, we, we want this to become more and more a part of our, of our worship experience. We want to hear testimonies. We want to hear what God is doing. We want to hear about healings. We want to hear about evangelism opportunities. We want to hear about different ways that God has provided for you in amazing ways. We want to hear about how when you committed to, let's say, give your tithes and offerings to God, not sure how God was going to meet your need, how God met your need. We want to testify and we want to work those into our worship. One of the reasons we're moving announcements to the beginning of our worship is to give more time during our worship for repentance, responding to God's Word, and testifying, declaring the works that God has done. So, if you want to share testimonies of what God has done in your life, feel free to send emails to us as your pastors sharing those testimonies and we will work them in if and how we are able. Next, worship through giving. Through giving. Psalm 96 and verse 8. And I hope you noticed that all of these are just taken right from the text. And by the way, that reminds me, one of the reasons why I chose Psalm 95 and 96 is just so that when you want to think about worship, you will know one really good place to turn in your Bible. So that, that you'll be able to say, okay, now, what, what is it the Lord wants from me today if, as I go to church? You can just open your Bible to Psalm 95 and 96, and I believe the Spirit of God will bring truth back to you as you, as you read it, and it will help to prepare you. So this is, this is intentional. This text does provide for us this almost comprehensive view of all the things that God wants from us in our worship. And the next thing he wants is worship through giving. Verse 8 of Psalm 96. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Bring an offering and come into His courts. It almost has the feel 
of the psalmist saying to us, come into His presence and don't come empty-handed. Don't come empty-handed. Bring an offering and come into His courts. As you, as you study this out throughout the Old and New Testament, you find out that there are different offerings that we need to bring. The first and the most important offering that we need to bring is an atonement offering. I don't know if you were familiar with this or aware of this, but in the Old Testament, whenever God's people went to the temple, whenever they went to worship, they always had to bring a sacrifice. They always had to bring an offering, a bloody sacrifice or some kind of other sacrifice to, to indicate that they knew that they did not deserve to enter the Lord's presence, that they were sinners who needed an atonement for their sin in order to be accepted in the sight of God. Brothers and sisters, we need an offering today just as much as they did. Because we're just as sinful and God is just as holy and we do not deserve to come into God's presence. It's not as if we can just kind of saunter up to God and say, hey God, here I am. Aren't you glad I made it? I'm so worthy of being here. Now if we know our own hearts at all, we realize that we don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve to approach God. We need a sacrifice. We need an offering of atonement. And we have one, don't we? We have one. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. In that regard, things are no different today than they were way back in the Old Testament. They had to bring a sacrifice every time they tried to worship God. We have to bring a sacrifice every time we worship God. But we have the ultimate sacrifice. We have the perfect sacrifice. We have the once and for all time sacrifice. We have Jesus who gave himself for us on the cross. That's why, as Leo said in his message a couple of weeks ago, that's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because we realize that if we pray in our own name, it isn't going anywhere. But if we pray in the name, through the merit, through the blood, through the righteousness, through the person and work of Jesus, then our prayers and our songs and our gifts and our offerings and all we do is acceptable to Him not because we merit it but because Jesus merited it for us. So when the psalmist says bring an offering, the first offering we need to bring is an atonement offering. We need to be those who believe in Jesus Christ that He died for our sins, paid the sacrifice necessary for our redemption. We should also bring financial offerings, gifts and tithes and offerings. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1, Paul tells the early Christians on the first day of every week, they were to lay things in store and bring it to worship, bring it to the collection. And in Philippians 4, Paul talks about the giving of the Philippians and he says it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Bring your tithes, bring your offerings as a praise offering to God. And then bring not just an atonement offering and a financial offering, but bring a spiritual gift offering as well. Or in 1 Peter chapter 4, we are told 
that as each has received a gift, we are to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So folks, when we come together to worship, let us come not, not just to receive. Let's come to receive. Let's come to hear from God. Let's come to be encouraged and blessed. But let's also come to give. To give to God our, our tithes and offerings, but beyond that, to give to Him and to each other the exercise of our spiritual gifts. Let's come to serve. Let's come to bless. Let's come to be a blessing to others. Let's worship God through giving. And finally, let's worship through encouraging. Through encouraging. Look at Psalm 96 and verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the, Lord, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And at, in verse 13, He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. The Lord reigns. Aren't you glad? Here's praise and worship that not only glorifies God, it encourages others. It brings hope to others. This, this has to happen in our worship, folks. This has to happen every week. One of God's mercies, I think, in establishing a rhythm of seven day weeks that include a day of rest and worship is because I think by the end of six days, we all need a hope recharge. This, this world can beat you up. How many of you got discouraged in any way this week? Okay, there you go. I did. I did. Saddened and discouraged numerous times. I'll probably get a lot of people unhappy with me, but he, uh, let me share this. Um, this week I posted on Facebook a status in which I, I called out our president for speaking with careless disrespect toward three or four congresswomen who are women of color. But I also called out those very same women because they have spoken with careless disrespect about Jews and Jewish people. And to make sure that no one got off the hook, I called out Americans for their hypocrisy since those who support the president have been furious at those women for their racially charged words and people who support those women have been furious at the president for his insensitive and racially charged words and mute about the people that they did support. And I don't know about you, but I detect a slight or not so slight form of hypocrisy in all of that. I posted this only to get 
responses and comments that were so heated and so missed the point and so did the very thing that I was trying to encourage people not to do that I deleted the whole thing. And I'll tell you, I was discouraged. I was discouraged. Are people for righteousness or are they just for their own person or their own party? Do people hate hatred no matter who it's directed at or do they hate hatred only when it's directed at them? Do people hate sin or do people hate others? Does that kind of thing discourage you? Does the state of our world discourage you? Do politics discourage you? People on the left, people on the right, do they discourage you? How about chronic pain? How about a sad and broken marriage? How about singleness? How about job loss? How about the never-ending bills? How about the wayward child? Do they discourage you? We need to be reminded the Lord reigns. We need to encourage each other with the knowledge that God is on the throne and he will give that throne up to no one. This week, Thursday, Galen and I had dinner with two of our dearest friends on earth, a husband and wife who served alongside of us in New Jersey for almost 30 years. She has just been diagnosed with cancer. It's unclear how it's all going to go. As we sat over dinner, she said to me, Tim, thank you. Thank you for teaching us so much and so often about the sovereignty of God, about the fact that God reigns, because that, she said, is my only comfort right now. The next day, we got word of another friend with cancer. And then over the next three days, we got word of at least three men who have been in Christian leadership in various places who have fallen on hard times in marriage and in life. And the grief is almost overwhelming. But the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Do you know that? Do you believe that? In Romans 15, Paul says to us that the scriptures have been given to us that we might have hope. That we might have hope. The scriptures tell us about a God who reigns, a God who reigns in righteousness and justice and faithfulness, a God who will make all things right, a God who will put all the pieces back together in the way that they're supposed to be put. And God will do this because God is on the throne. Brothers and sisters, we need to encourage each other with these words. We need to build each other up with hope every single week. Let's make it an aim as we come to gather together to encourage each other in God. 
to remind each other who God is and what God is like so that people's hearts can be filled with hope so that they can face another day, face another week, face another trial and know that God reigns, God will fix this, God will get this done in His time. Maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. He will make it right. The Lord reigns. And as I reflected on this, this is how it unfolded in my own heart. Do you know that the Lord reigns and His grace sustains though your sin constrains and your courage wanes? The Lord reigns when your kid complains and a court arraigns and its wrath detains. The Lord reigns when your conscience stains and addiction chains and your spirit drains. The Lord reigns over ankle sprains and labor pains and cancer strains. The Lord reigns over rough terrains and flooding rains and hurricanes. The Lord reigns over gushing veins and crashing trains and falling planes. The Lord reigns when the world disdains and its hate maintains and all life profanes. The Lord reigns over all campaigns and bigot games and hell's domains. The Lord reigns. His throne remains and His arm attains what His will ordains. And that explains our glad refrains. The Lord reigns. doesn't matter what it is. What it is going on in your life. King Jesus is on the throne. And He will reign until every enemy and every trial and every disease and every heartache has made His footstool. And then God will be all in all and we will be eternally satisfied in Him. This is what we need to do when we gather for worship. We need to do all these things that we have talked about from Psalm 95 and 96. And, and we need to make sure that our brothers and sisters in Christ have renewed hope before they walk out the doors to go back onto the streets. So as you fellowship after worship, Make sure to make one of the themes of your fellowship the Lord reigns. And as you hear a brother or a sister weeping or grieving or discouraged or disheartened, first of all, just weep along with them. Share in the sorrow of the moment. Don't rush to words. Don't rush to cliches. Don't rush to anything. Just pause and linger. And then somehow, either in prayer or in simple words, with arm around brother or sister, say, the God that we just worshipped, the God to whom we just sang, the God to whom we just prayed, the God about whom we just learned, that God is on the throne, and He will be with you this week. May God bless and encourage and strengthen your heart. This is worship as God defines it. May we have grace to live it.
as we conclude, we want to conclude through the worship of communion. We want to share the bread and drink the cup together. We, we want to remember what Jesus has done for us, keeping in mind what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that the cup of blessing, that the cup is a cup of blessing, a cup of thanksgiving. In other words, every time we drink the cup in communion, we are saying, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Every time we eat the bread, we're saying, thank you, Jesus. And as the ushers come and as they distribute the bread and the cup, if you are a baptized believer in Christ and a member of a church, not necessarily this church, baptized believer in Christ and a member of the church, we invite you to join with us in sharing the bread and sharing the cup. And over these next few minutes, as, as it's distributed, ushers, if you would, please, um, as the bread and cup are distributed, we're just going to have some music quietly playing, and then we are going to conclude our worship by singing our joy in this wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ.